see I'm live here, even without anyone there at the back. That's a bit of a miracle in and of itself. <laughs> As you know, we're in the middle of a series on, on Genesis, and um, our tagline for the series has been Faith and Life Intersect. Our faith impacts every area of our life, and it's not something that can just be you know, boxed there to the side. The story of God's people shows us that a life without faith is really an empty life, and that faith without practical application in our lives also is of no real value. Our faith should be shaping everything that we are and everything that we do. And today from the book of Genesis, I just want to share with you the story about Hagar, what we know about her journey, her choices, and her revelation of God. And you cannot tell Hagar's story with also telling something of Sarah's story. And the story of these two women and how their lives intersect is found in Genesis chapter 16 and again in Genesis chapter 21. And I choose to share their stories today because I believe there's just so much that we can learn about God and how he impacts the story of our lives. Sarah and Hagar are in many ways opposite, and as such, they represent and they share the narrative of two very different types of women. Sarah is a woman who seemingly has it all. We're told that she's a very beautiful woman who is married to a man, Abraham, whom God has made the promise that through him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Abraham has become a very wealthy man, and Sarah was undoubtedly very well looked after, and probably lived a privileged lifestyle where she had servants to do her bidding and follow her orders. Now, Hagar, in contrast, is a woman who has nothing. Being a slave to Sarah, she has no power over her destiny. She has very little status and probably very little hope. She's a woman whose needs and wishes are not consulted, and she has to simply obey what she is told to do. All we know about her background is that she is Egyptian, and that she is regarded as the property of Abraham and Sarah, along with all the other men servants and maidservants. We don't know how Hagar came to be part of this household, or how long she has been with them. Some have connected Abraham and Sarah's stay in Egypt during the days of famine, with the Egyptian maidservant joining them. But that history aside, we know that Hagar is a strange woman, a foreign woman, in a strange land, who is separated against her will from her homeland and from her family. And when we look deeper at the story, we see that the woman who seemingly has it all and the woman who is nothing actually land up having their roles reversed. Sarah is revealed to have some very serious struggles of her own. And Hagar has her situation elevated to the point where Sarah actually feels threatened by her. So let's look at the biblical account of their story as it unfolds and just see what the Lord has to say to us this morning. You can open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 16 and follow along as I tell you their story. Genesis chapter 16. Now Sarah, as she was still called then, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Now, God had promised a son to Abraham, but there was one thing that was notice, noticeably absent from these promises, and that was that God had never included Sarai in that promise. God had never said that Abraham would have a son through Sarai, only that he would have a son. 
Now, it doesn't mean that this was not part of God's plan. I mean, it clearly was, for Sarah was Abraham's legal wife. But Sarah had, at this point in the narrative, never had a direct word from God herself. And I think it's helpful to understand this because her actions have been criticized throughout history as those of a woman who was impatient, a woman who was lacking faith. And it's very easy to pin these sins on her without walking in her shoes. Sarah, or Sarah as we know her later, was a woman living under enormous pressure. She was aware of the promise made to her husband, Abraham. She knew how much it meant to him. And yet here she was, as his wife, unable to conceive. Now in Israel, and among the people at that time generally, barrenness was a woman and a family's greatest misfortune, and it even caused a woman to experience social reproach. Women who experienced barrenness often understood their inability to conceive as a divine withholding of blessing, a punishment, or even a curse. And certainly Sarah understood her barrenness to be the result of God withholding the gift of pregnancy. And that no doubt left her feeling deep shame, desperation, intense frustration, and even abandoned and overlooked by the God of promise who had spoken to her husband. Now, Sarah takes matters into her own hands, and she decides that she's going to ensure that this promise is fulfilled through alternative means. And she resorts to a practice which was legal in those ancient times. If a man's wife could not have children, he could have his children by his wife's slave, and, by any, ch and any child that was born to the slave was actually considered to be the child of the wife to whom the slave was under. And that's apparently what Sarah had in mind, if Hagar fell pregnant, her child would be considered Sarai's legal offspring. And so Abraham agreed to what Sarai said. And so after Abraham had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar, gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. And when she knew that she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. So Hagar does not get any say in this at all. But the decision is just made that she is going to be used to provide them an heir. She's given to Abraham as such as his concubine, which awful though this is, was an elevation of her status as a slave. And the plan works in that she does conceive, except it doesn't quite work out like Sarai imagined, and there's now conflict in the home. And the fact that Hagar could immediately conceive where Sarah couldn't, after years and years and years of trying, might have tempted Hagar to see herself as superior to her mistress. Whatever the motivation behind this attitude change, Sarah just feels Hagar's contempt, and it deeply upsets her. And Sarah's plan might have worked out, but wasn't quite what she had thought. And now the consequences of her actions have implications that she never anticipated or actually really thought through. And one of those consequences is now marital strife between her and Abram. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong that I'm suffering. I put my slave in your arms. And now that she knows that she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. And then Sarai mistreated Hagar. So she fled from her. Perhaps not Abram's finest hour here. We're not told the specifics of Sarah's mistreatment of Hagar, but it is, it's so unbearable 
that Hagar feels that her only option is to run away. And it had to have been a really rough time for Hagar, who was used to being treated as a slave, to flee into the desert as a pregnant woman. I mean, I cannot think of a more inhospitable environment for a woman in her condition. And she doesn't even know where she is going. Although it does seem like she heads in the general direction there of Egypt, she just knows that she has got to get out of this unbearable and untenable situation. And it goes on to say, The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur, which is near the northeast border of Egypt there. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. Now here in the middle of the wilderness, Hagar has an encounter with the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord calls her by name. Now that is significant because up until this point in chapter 16, nobody has spoken to her or about her by name. Both Sarai and Abram, in their references to her, just call her my slave or your slave. But the angel of the Lord speaks to her and he says, Hagar, acknowledging her as a person who is known by name to Almighty God. In fact, the name Hagar, it means flight or stranger. But this woman who is fleeing is no stranger to Almighty God. And even though the angel knows the answers already, he asks Hagar where she has come from and where she's going. And she only answers one of his two questions, and that rather vaguely. And in response, the angel now tells her what she needs to do. And he says to the angel told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. You know that Hagar is the only woman in the Bible who receives a promise from God of descendants. And she has promised that from her will come a multitude of descendants very similar to the promise that God had given to Abraham in Genesis 15. And he also said to her, You are now pregnant, and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. She's also the first woman in the Bible to hear the announcement from an angel that she is going to be a child. And her son will be called Ishmael, which means God hears. God heard. Hagar's affliction. And he tells her too what kind of man Ishmael will be and what his descendants will be like as well. He will be a wild donkey of a man, every mother's dream. <laughs> his hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards all of his brothers. So Ishmael is going to experience great affliction at the hands of others and also cause great affliction as well. So whereas Abraham, Abraham's descendants through Sarai will bring blessing to the world, Hagar's will bring strife. And looking ahead in Genesis, we find out that one of Abraham's grandsons, Esau, actually married Ishmael's daughter. And it was the Ishmaelite traders, also known as the Midianite merchants, themselves who were descended from an Egyptian maidservant, who now transported his great-grandson Joseph into slavery in Egypt. Hagar now responds, and she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. And that is why the well was called Belahai Roi, and it is still there between Kadesh and Bered. 
Hagar gave this name to the Lord in the Hebrew, El Roi, which means the God who sees me. It is the only occurrence of El Roi in the Bible, and it is a beautiful name of God, El Roi. Hagar found herself in a nightmare of a situation. She was alone, she was impoverished, she was pregnant with no hope and no future, but the God who sees me had seen Hagar and her predicament. The God who numbers the very hairs of our heads, who knows every detail of our circumstances, past, present, and future. That was the God that met Hagar. And Hagar discovered that she was not alone and that God had a future for her, a future for her son. God saw her. And it was this knowledge, the knowledge of this truth, that gave Hagar the strength that she needed to be able to return to Abraham's tribe. She had a purpose to live for, to bear a son, to bear a child who had an important destiny and to raise that child who would have descendants without number. So Hagar bore Abram a son and Abram gave him the name Ishmael to the son that she had born and he was 86 years old when Hagar born him Ishmael. So Hagar does return, she gives birth to a son, he's named Ishmael. We don't know how Sarai treated her upon her return, how she treated the baby, in fact. But the fact that it's not much said there at all seems that everything was, you know, going along. And then we jump ahead 14 years to Genesis chapter 21, when Sarah herself now has a son. In the beginning of chapter 21, it says, The Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. And Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, the very time that God has promised. We jump ahead then to verse 8, and it says, The child grew and was weaned, and on the day that Isaac was weaned, Abraham had a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking, and she said to Abraham, Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son, now it's that woman's son, will never share in the inheritance with my son, Isaac. And the old animosity flares up again between Sarah and Hagar. And Sarah was really threatened by Ishmael's presence, fearing that he would take away from her son's inheritance, and she wants him and Hagar banished. This time it's not Hagar running away, but Sarah permanently wanting them expelled from the household. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. So at least this time we see Abraham is at least distressed about the situation. But God said to him, do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you because it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also because he is your offspring. And early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water, gave them to Hagar, and he set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. And she went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. And when the skin, water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. And then she went off and sat down about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. So Hagar once again finds herself in the wilderness. But this time, she's left in the horrific situation of seeing her son suffering greatly in the desert heat. And she knew it would not be long before her son was past helping. And unable to despair that the, the helplessness 
Her helplessness in the face of Ishmael's anguish, Hagar sits down several meters away and she just begins to wail out her grief. Where was El Roy, the God who sees me? Her son was named God Hears. Was God's ear now deaf to their cries? Psalm 69 verse 3 echoes words that surely mirrored what Hagar was experiencing. I am worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. Do you know the wilderness seems to be Hagar's place of encounter with the Almighty? Because it says in verse 17, God heard the boy crying and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. El Roy, the God who sees, yet again just speaks life and hope over Hagar. And in lifting up her eyes, she immediately sees God's provision. God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and she filled the skin with water and she gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy as he grew up, and he lived in the desert and became an archer. And while he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. So Hagar and her son are saved from death. And they continue on their journey knowing that they are, they've only got God and themselves to rely on. And they make a life for themselves in the wilderness of Paran, where Ishmael grows up to manhood. And when it comes time for Ishmael to marry, Hagar found him a wife from his, her own people in Egypt, not from the people of his father. And the promise that God made to Hagar and Ishmael so many years before was not broken by God. And in their time of trial, it might have been forgotten by them, but it was never forgotten by God. And God did increase Ishmael's descendants until they were too numerous to count. He became the father of 12 sons, and these sons eventually took wives, had children, and through these children, tribes were formed. And these tribes made up the nations that dwelt from Havilah to Shur, from Egypt to Assyria. We do know that Ishmael also had one known daughter who became the third wife of Esau. And we know that Ishmael appeared with his brother Isaac at the burial of Abraham. And he himself died at the age of 137. Friends, there are just two things that stand out for me this story, from the story that I really wanted to share with you this morning. And the first is that God is the God of real people. There are many historical accounts in the Old Testament that can feel you feeling really disturbed and in fact sometimes even overwhelmed by just the depth of human depravity that you see recorded there. And in fact, the story of Sarah and Hagar is no exceptions with, with many things recorded there that, in fact, we're deeply uncomfortable with. Why would these stories be included in the scriptures? And in fact, if you look around Genesis chapter 16 right through to like 24, there's some, you know, really difficult stories there. But the account of history, as we read it in the Old Testament, is just that. These are the real stories of real people, often raw and broken by their sin. And what these accounts show us is just the depth of every human's need for Jesus Christ. These are real people with real hopes and dreams and human passions and, yes, faith, but also sometimes severe failings. 
These are people who step out in faith, but they also stumble in doubt and in disobedience. And it is a great reminder to us that God's primary revelation to humanity is not through a book of doctrines or a set of rules that need to be obeyed, but it is through relationship with real people in real time. And God's ultimate revelation to us came in human form. God came to be with us, Emmanuel, in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, his living word to us. And God wants a relationship with us all. And we don't have to wait for our lives to be cleaned and sanitized in order for God to work in us. God came for the lost and the broken and the hurting, and that is where he's able to encounter us. And I fear that many of us put on masks when we come to church on Sunday and we feel afraid and sometimes even shamed to, to share and show our real hurting selves. But friends, how else are we to find healing unless we have freedom to bring into the light in this place what we carry in the darkness? Our community times together are times that we gather as real people and at times people raw and broken by sin. And we need Jesus. We need the ministry of his Holy Spirit in our midst. And God will not be shocked by anything. He has been there for all time and has seen it all. He is the God of real people. And secondly, God sees us and he hears us. Hagar had a real wilderness experience when she ran away. And in the wilderness, she discovered God as being Elroy, the God who sees. And the God who saw Hagar is the God who sees every single one of us. He is also your Elroy, the God who sees you. Hagar had to experience another wilderness encounter. You know, she lost everything then. Her home, her husband, her security, her comfort. For 14 years, she'd lived with Abraham and Sarah, empowered by these promises that God had spoken to her. And then she's abandoned in the wilderness again, and these promises that God made to her 14 years back seem about to die. And she cannot even begin to see hope again. El Roy, the God who sees me, encounters her yet again. And maybe you've also had your own wilderness experience. And perhaps like Hagar, you find yourselves yet again in the desert. And the hope that sustained you is now actually gone. Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred can look like many things. An agonizing search for a job that's just filled with endless interviews and rejections. A prayer of salvation for a loved one that continues unanswered year after year after year. A long-term battle with illness. A dream not yet realized. Or a string of losses that just leaves us feeling empty. Hope deferred can lead to depression and anxiety and actual physical sickness. In the face of hopelessness, we can become spiritually dried up and so vulnerable to the enemy's attacks and his lies. The promises of God are forgotten, and we see no way forward in that space. Hagar prepared to die, seeing no hope in front of her. Yet as she lay there weeping, God spoke to her, and he said, What is the matter, Hagar? 
do not be afraid. The God who sees you wants to know what your need is. And he wants to speak words of faith and words of courage to you. Do not be afraid. Now God opened Hagar's eyes and she was able to see that well of water. And what a powerful reminder to Hagar that he was still the God who sees me. God is referred to by my many names throughout the Bible, but the name that is one of my favorites and has personally meant the most to me and brought me the greatest peace and hope is this name, El Roy, the God who sees me. It's a great reminder that God knows what I'm experiencing, even when I feel like I'm in the wilderness. It's a great reminder that God is the one who understands. It's a reminder that the God who sees me not, knows not only my past and my present, but he also knows my future. It's a reminder that he can see the wells of water that I am blinded to, the streams of blessing and refreshing and life that await for me if I will just let him open up my eyes. It's a reminder that the God who sees me is the God who will never abandon me. You know, the realities of life is that it's not always neat and nice. There are not always solutions ahead that remove us from challenging environments. But knowing that we never have to be alone and that God sees and knows gives me the courage and the faith that no matter what the future holds, He will never leave me nor forsake me and that his presence and his spirit in my life bring purpose and bring hope. Lauren Daigle is a Christian artist, and many of her songs I find incredibly anointed and is filled with such hope. And one such song has these lyrics, Your ways are always higher. Your plans are always good. There's not a place where I'll go that you've not already stood. Do not be afraid. I want you to just take one or two moments to think about these questions. What would your honest answer be if the Lord asked you these three questions today? My child, where have you come from? My child, where are you going? And my child, what is the matter? Can I ask you all just to, to stand at this moment? If you are someone who's come here today and you just really are at a junction or moment in your life where you just need to know that God sees you and God hears you, won't you just take a seat? So if you just need to know, if you've come here this morning, you're saying, I feel a bit like Hagar. Might be something in your life that is really challenging for you. Um, if you need to be reminded this morning that God sees you and knows you, take a seat.
If you need to hear these words over you this morning from the Lord, my child, do not be afraid. Won't you take a seat? Now I'm just going to ask the rest of the family who are standing, I want you to gather now around those of your community who are sitting down. And let's all of us who are standing just move around and make sure that everyone is sitting down, if possible, has just got one hand on their shoulder. And I want to invite you as the community just to be able to pray for your brothers and sisters in this space and to be able to pray the Lord's hope and peace over them. And so let's move around from where you are and just make sure, especially this side here, that if you are standing, you don't have to pray out loud, you can quietly pray over them. Um, if it's new for you, but let's just gather around them as their community and let's lift our family up to the Lord in prayer this morning. Lord, you are the God who sees us. You are the God who hears us in our times of need, especially when we've been mistreated or we find ourselves in the desert and feel that we just can't go on. You are El Roy, the God who sees us. And we declare this morning that we choose to trust in you. No matter what we are facing, pain, disappointment, anxiety, fear, or despair, we know that there is nothing going on in our lives that you do not see. We declare that you are our strength and our comfort. You are our firm foundation. You are the rock on which we stand. We want to receive your words over us this morning. Do not be afraid. We pray that you would give us the faith, the strength, and the courage that we need to go forward. 
We need that to be able to move forward in our lives, Lord, with renewed hope. We pray for that. We pray for renewed hope, for stronger love, and we pray that you would deepen our faith. May you ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. really wonderful to know that we have a God who is with us in every moment at every time. One of my favorite pieces of scripture is Psalm 23, where David writes of the Lord that even as we walk into the valley of the shadow of death, we don't fear evil because he is with us. That's I pray that you'll carry that encouragement with you as you go into this week. Shells, that was a fantastic message. Thank you so much. And we're going to transition and we're going to go celebrate together this morning. We're going to celebrate and we can celebrate because our God is with us. Our God is with us and we get to walk with Him every day. And this morning we get to, as a family, celebrate with Onke as she's going to proclaim her faith in the Lord and her love for Jesus and we get to celebrate this marking moment in our lives as Christians where we profess outwardly before our friends and family what God has already done in our spirits. And so I'd love to ask you if you can manage to, to give us another 10, 15 minutes and join us as we go down to Surface Corner. We're going to make our way down there together. If you have your kids and they're across the road in Sunday school, please go and grab them first. Um, Otherwise, uh, our teachers are, are going to get strained. But go and grab them. Come and join us at Surface Corner. We'll, we'll try and uh, give you a bit of time to do that. But when we feel like we've got a critical mass, we'll, uh, we'll begin to do it together. Because otherwise, we have to do head counts, and that gets awkward. So come along and join us, and we're going to do, do Onke's baptism.